This morning, we continue in our series on knowing God, and we have one of our leaders of the singles, a man of God. I have a privilege of having discipled him when he was still in Manila, and God uh, has orchestrated that we continue this discipleship relationship. We have always uh, informed you that discipleship is really a lifelong investment and we build into each other's lives. So he's coming up to deliver God's word to us. Would you please welcome Brother Adrian Ariosa. Woo! Young yeah. guy, young guy. All right. So like I always say, if I say something wrong, it's his fault, right? Because he discipled me. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right, where's my PowerPoint here? How do you work this? That's right, just forward. Oh, there you go. There's the wood. All right. So, good morning, everyone. Don't be afraid. It's just me. Uh, Today, we will talk about the goodness of God. So, our scripture will be, it's fairly long. I was talking to my cousin last night. I was showing him, yeah, we're going to read both chapters. It's going to be great. He was saying, nah, that's not a good idea. So, we will be reading selected verses from Exodus 33-34. So let's start now. The, it's, come on guys, it's, it, it'll help you out. It'll help your reading and comprehension. All right, let's read together. All right, Exodus 33, selected verses. Okay, verse one. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, uh, Pastor Danny's relatives, uh, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So they're stubborn, God was saying. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. Okay. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is God's word. Let's pray before we get to work. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your grace and kindness and mercy that you've allowed us to be here, to know more about you and to know you more. Father, I pray that we all... um, get to know you in a much more deeper way today. That I, pr- I pray that we all, we all are changed as we look at your word. Thank you, Father, for this time. Just use me, Lord. Um, nobody's worthy to come up here to speak your word, but you choose worthless people like me, Lord, to serve you. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen. All right. So, it's always good to read scripture in context, guys, right? Because it's it's... It's a little bit shit. It's like if I take one letter you gave me and I just always read one paragraph, I won't understand that paragraph correctly, right? You could be saying something funny, but 
you know, sound horrible out of context, right? So it's, that's best practice in terms of studying scripture, read in context. All right, so this morning, right, we're going to interrogate the scriptures, right? We're going fi- to ask three basic questions, right? So we first, we, we want to ask, what is goodness, right? We've, we've sung about it, but what does it mean? And then secondly, we're going to specifically ask, what is God's goodness? We're going to look at those verses again and see what God, God's goodness means. Number three, we're going to look at what it means for us. So application, right? Oh, if God is good, what does it mean for us? Okay, so what is goodness? So we just sang that this morning. God is good all the time. If God is good, okay, these are the two most common statements you will hear concerning the goodness of God in church circles and also outside church. Um, the first statement has to do with something positive, right? Um, God is good all the time. I normally hear this from fellow believers when things are going their way. Right? I seldom hear this when things are going bad. Right? If somebody um, gets a promotion or something, I'll get a text saying, God is good, man. I'm, I'm so rich right now. I'm so loaded with money. Um, commonly, that's what you hear, right? When, when somebody says, God is good, man. All the time, I'm rich. Um, and then when people suffer, you know, whether you're new to the faith or whether you've been in the faith for a long time, somehow, somewhere, your heart whispers this. If God is good, then why blank? Why is this happening to me? If God is so good, bro, why am I now broke? Right? He gave me a race last week, and then, right? So I think, you know, we have to understand the word good in order to, you know, really see what we're saying when we, when we say these things and when we ask these things, right? So I just used a dictionary, actually. Dictionary.com is my sponsor for this definition. Um, so there are two definitions I found of goodness. The first one had to do with uh, the state, definition A, right? The state or quality of being good, right? What does being good mean in that context? It is of high quality and it, it is excellent, something praiseworthy, right? That is a definition of goodness. The other definition, and normally this is the definition we tend to use when we deal with God, is B, definition B, which is a kindly feeling, kindness, generosity, I believe the Hebrew word for this is chesed, chesed, if I say it correctly, which is loving kindness. That's what we normally think of when we, when we think about God, right? So just to illuminate the point, definition A has to do with this, right? Who is this, guys? Gentlemen. Who is the greatest player of all time? Number 23, LeBron? What? Kobe's horrible. Ah. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. He'll never be Michael Jordan. But wait, this is every basketball player has a signature poster, right? I think this is the one for Michael Jordan. Um, this basically defines his greatness, his airness, right? Um, this is what we mean when we say good. When we say Michael Jordan is good, we're saying he's excellent, he's amazing, he's praiseworthy. Look at that, I cannot match that. Cannot even touch the net, right? <laughs> Definition B, which is, you know, the kindly loving feeling, sort of like your grandpa, right? The grandpa is not the dad. The dad will say, Okay, you're, you're not having this because this is bad for you. This candy is bad for you. The grandpa will come in with the candy. He'll say, don't tell your dad. Here's a whole box. Right? So when it comes to God, the question is, which is it? When we say God is good, what definition do we use? Is it A, God is excellent, praiseworthy, and amazing? Or B, he's kind and good? And Yes, what a smart congregation. Right? Both. Whoa, whoa. Hey, oh. Let's go back there. There it is. So, both, right? It is both. But we need to understand A first. And we need to understand definition A well. 
right? If we do not understand that definition well, we will have a hard time navigating through life, right? And when we, and when we say God is good, it's very fleeting and you know doesn't have the same impact if we don't understand a definition a, right? So what is God's goodness? What is God's excellence? What is God's beauty? We'll read again. No. Um, <laughs> we won't read the whole thing, but <laughs> so, okay. So this is a chunk of scripture, verses 17 to 23, where Moses basically asks the Lord if he can see him face to face, right? I think it's, it's also in Exodus 33 where it's, scripture says, Moses hung out with the Lord in the tent of meeting. He would go there every day and we'd spend time with the Lord and he would come out, he'd be glowing and everybody would be afraid. It's like, ah, oh, Moses, he's glowing. That would be scary, right? If I came out of the bathroom all of a sudden and I'm like glowing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. So Moses spent a lot of time with the Lord and he came to a point where he said, I want to see you, Lord. I want to see you face to face. I want to see you for who you really are, right? And the Lord says to him in verse 20, because I do know you, you are my friend, you are somebody I treasure, I will show you the tail end of my glory, the tail end of who I am, but you cannot see me face to face and live, right? Because we're all sinners, right? If God revealed himself to us fully, we die, right? He's so, it's like, you know, me touching the surface of the sun. I, I wouldn't even make it to the surface, actually. I'd probably be burnt before then. So, right, Moses wants to see God's beauty. He wants to see him face to face. Um, for the older uh, people here, have you ever had a pen pal? <laughs> or, um, who of you here have, oh, that's not a good example. I was going to say Instagram and met someone on Instagram, but that's not great. Um, there comes a point in time when you have a pen pal or whatever, and you're just, you, you've been chatting with this person for a long time, and we should meet finally. I, I want to see you face to I've, you know, I've fallen in love with who you are on paper, and now it's time to see you face to face. I'm sure with all the chatter there, you probably experienced this at some point or another. Right? So what, what happens? What happens when, when God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passes by? What does he give him? He doesn't show him his full glory, but he gives him a, a riddle. Right? This is one of the most confusing passages of scripture that you will ever read, and it almost doesn't make sense. Almost. Right? So Moses is in the cleft of the rock. He's probably like wedged here or something. And then God's passing by. And it's only, if you imagine a comet, it's sort of like the tail end of the comet, like flare. And then the Lord says this as he passes by. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Normally, I stop there. I don't like the second part, the orange part. But here we go. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the first and f third and fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So is it confusing? Right? Doesn't seem to make sense. Why would God be loving and right? so we will use like Sherlock Holmes. No, he doesn't do hermeneutics. A hermeneutic principle to understand this chunk of scripture. What is hermeneutics class? Pastor Dan, what is hermeneutics? Herman Miller? What? No, hermeneutics is just a fancy word for correctly um, dividing scripture, meaning to say correctly studying scripture, right? And so you use other parts of scripture to illuminate 
other parts. So scripture will define itself, right? If you read it long enough, if you read it correctly. Okay, so we will use this hermeneutic principle. All things point to Jesus, right? When we read the Bible, we don't first read about ourselves. We read about Jesus. I'm guilty of this. I opened up the Bible. Have you ever done this? You just, okay, here's the Bible. I sneak my finger in. I need to find out what I'm going to do today. What, how? Oh, Revelation 21.8. Oh, no. Right? I'm guilty. Have you ever done that? Right? You're, just, you're looking for a word about you during the day. Well, that is not a good way. There are times when we need to seek the Lord's counsel and ask him for wisdom and guidance. But first, Scripture's primary purpose is to reveal Jesus, right? That's why it's called the revelation. God reveals himself in Scripture. Okay, we'll use that principle. Actually, Jesus says it here in Luke 24. He was talking to two guys. This is after he passed, oh, after he was crucified and he rose again. These two guys were walking on the road <coughs> to Emmaus, and they were, all, they were both depressed because they thought, oh, we lost Jesus, and everything doesn't make sense. And then Jesus talks to them. Jesus shows up, but he doesn't reveal himself, and then he tells them, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That, would have been, that is an amazing Bible study right there. Jesus himself explaining to them, oh yeah, the entire Old Testament, it's all about me, right? Oh, here you see this instance here, blah, blah, blah. And so we will use this principle that Jesus himself gave us, and we, uh, we will attempt to understand Moses' encounter with God. Okay, so the two statements, the one in yellow and the one in orange. What does the first part have to do with? Class? Grace and love. Right here, the Lord is saying, I am merciful and gracious. I don't get angry quickly. I will keep my covenant of love and so on. Right? What is the second half, class? Has to do with? Law and justice. Right? So the Lord will deal with sin. The Lord will, the Lord has wrath towards wickedness and all that stuff. So this is what we call a paradox, right? Two things that seemingly don't go together, but they do, right? And using the hermeneutic principle, how, does, how do we see this? Where do we see this happen? Where do we see God's grace and love and his law and justice come together? Where? Brian? The cross, perfect. This is where we see God's love and God's grace, uh, God's grace and God's law come together perfectly, right? John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, and you should check out his series. He has a, he already retired from ministry, but he has a, his last series is pretty great. This comes from that. He talks about Jesus' work on the cross. Let's read this quote. The apex, of God's, uh, the apex of the glory of God is the grace of God. So if the glory of God is Mount Everest, grace is the peak. It all goes there. The mo it is, this is the most magnificent aspect of God's glory. That's the end point. Everything else about God serves that, supports that including his wrath. In the eternal fellowship of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, planned that God's grace would be supremely revealed through the saving work of the Son. So, basically the entire Old Testament is sort of like that one statement that God makes about himself. It's clues, it's foreshadowing, it's Every figure in the Old Testament sort of represents Jesus until it comes to the point where Jesus himself comes down and does the work, right? Um, so remember Michael Jordan's signature dunk? That's his best dunk. That's, that's who, as a basketball player, when we see that photo, yes, Michael Jordan, he can leap, he can score, he can do. The gospel, right? Jesus' work on the cross is God's poster, that defines God's glory. That defines God's excellence, right? 
So His goodness is perfectly displayed and defined. Right? That is the definition of God's goodness. It's Jesus on the cross. Right? It's Jesus on the cross. Um, it was Jesus also who said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? The ex- fullest expression of everything that is good, everything that is great about God, is Jesus on the cross. Can you imagine that? Like, um, if I were to say, conquer, if I were a king of a land, and Nate had another land, like another kingdom, if I conquered him and destroyed all of his castles and fortifications, right, with my uh, trebuchets and all that, uh, ballistas, uh, there are no nerds here, um, I would have to utterly crush him to show my power, right, to show my glory. That's what happens when we show our glory as human beings. We have to crush someone else, right? Manny Pacquiao has to knock out the other guy to really win and you know, show his magnificence. But look at God. See how different he is from us. When he flexes his muscles, when he shows his glory, he takes all of his power, puts it in a, you know, a human bag. He, he, he humbles himself to nothingness and he goes to the cross, and he dies for his enemies. That's how he conquers his enemies. He dies for them. He makes them his friends, right? That's the difference between us and God. And that, that is something. A conquering king would lay down his life to save a people that are rebellious towards him. That is God's greatness. That is God's goodness. So what does that mean for us, right? What does that mean for us? I'm sure all of you are familiar with that theology, but what does it mean for us on a day-to-day, on-the-ground level? Um, First, the experience of God's goodness should remove the concept of conditionality in our relationship with Him. Let me repeat that. The experience of God's goodness removes the concept of conditionality in our relationship with him okay what does that mean right let's look at that statement again Um, God's wrath is the stuff in orange the words in orange it's pretty extreme it's a pretty high demand he says he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation that's pretty mean. That is pretty heavy, heavy stuff there, right? What does Scripture say about us all being guilty? It verifies that, right? It says all are guilty. No one is good, not even one, right? So that basically orange represents the entire tone and tenor of the law, right? God's law. In order for us to perform well, in order for us to be loved by God based on our own merits, um, we have to perform like Jesus, right? So it's as bad as me asking Pastor Danny to reenact Michael Jordan's dunk. Pastor Danny, we will go to the court today and for me to bestow upon you my presence and love, you have to reenact Michael Jordan's uh, dunk. We can Photoshop, Kuya Bobby can probably do something with that. Uh, a green screen, some Photoshop. You could probably. I would. That would be great, actually. I, that is a project now. Anyway, um, but it's it's like that, right? It's asking. It's asking. Um, if I were to ask you guys to match what Jesus has done, it's like asking a blind guy to uh, find a needle in a haystack or whatever, right? It's pretty bad, and we can't do it, right? So here's the question. Can we ever hope to match the perfection of Jesus on the cross? Can we hope to satiate the law and merit grace by our performance? The answer is nope, 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 nope. Not happen, right? Why did God enter into a relationship with us? Do you guys remember how and why? Because of whom? Because of Jesus, right? He entered into a relationship with us because of his son. He came in, like the song said earlier, he broke through into our lives with Jesus. He brought somebody into your life, uh, maybe someone like Bob, 
came into your country and shared the good news. That is God planning stuff out so that the gospel will reach you. And that's how we enter into a relationship with him. And how do we remain in relationship with God? Is it something else now? Is it, is it now that you've entered using the gospel, it's up to you now? Is that how scripture does it? Talks about it? No, it's still the gospel. We remain in God because of God's grace. It's not like God was gracious to you on day one and now you have to perform the rest of your life so that you, know, you remain in good graces with God. It doesn't work that way. Without Jesus, apart from Jesus, you have nothing, right? Um, I think John Piper in one of his sermons also said that apart from Jesus, God is dangerous. Have you ever thought of it that way? Apart from Jesus, God is dangerous. If we ever relate to God without Jesus, it's, pretty, it's like petting a lion, you know? Oh, it's so cute. I'm going to go inside the pen and I'm going to pet the lion. It's dangerous, right? So only because of Jesus, we are loved by God and we remain in God's love. So when we see the greatness of what Jesus has done on the cross, the more it sinks deep into our hearts, the more we realize that, hey, my best day can never match what Jesus has done. Right? Even if you live perfectly for a day, the next day or the next second, you're probably... Right, guilty already. So, anyway, B, experiencing the goodness of God should change how we understand God's love and how we love Him. So, we're going to go back to the passage. Um, basically, verses 1 to 3 talk about God is saying here that, um, okay, right, I'm going to give you the promised land, I'm going to give it all to you. Right, I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out all your enemies, verse 2. And, you know, I will give you the land flowing with milk and honey. But, but, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. This is an interesting turn in the life of the Israelites, because... For a long time, they were complaining about um, the lack of food, the lack of this, that, all the comforts. Until it, you know, it came to a point in their journey where God was just saying, okay, I'm fed up with you guys. I'm going to give you everything minus me because I might destroy you. It's interesting how they're, at this point in their journey, they sort of changed. right? They sort of changed. They, their perspective has changed somehow. Even Moses, right? Um, basically, here in verses 12 to 15, uh, 16, God is now talking about, uh, God is now talking with Moses about the fact that he's not going to go with them anymore. Actually, he changes here and he says in verse 14, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Basically, here, God was telling Moses that when he says you here, my presence will go with you, he's only talking specifically to Moses. Basically, he's telling him, okay, Moses, these people are terrible. So what we're going to do is you pack up your family and everything. I will go with you. You go into the promised land, and I will give you rest, just Moses, right? Just Moses. How do we know that? Because in verse 15, he says here, Moses answers back. He says, If your presence will not go with us, us, meaning the whole people, right? Do not bring us up from here. Right? For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So what, what did Moses and the people learn about, this God, about God at this point in their journey? First, they learned that, have you seen this ad from Grandma? Uh, the younger guy married to a grandma, a rich grandma. 
Well, what did the, the people learn? Um, they learned that they were this guy. They, they basically married God for his money. Right? They were just, at that point, they realized, oh, we're, we were only in it for the blessings, the stuff that God can give us, but not God himself. Right? That's the shift in tone that Moses says here. He was basically saying, all that stuff is useless if you're not with us. All right, uh, remember the singer, Alicia, Alicia, Alicia A Keys. <laughs> um, she wrote a song that, is, I'm not gonna sing it. She wrote a song that basically summarizes where their hearts were at this time in their journey with the Lord. Basically they were singing that, you know, everything means nothing if I ain't got you. Right? Um, that's actually a pretty good song to put in this context. The entire song is about that. It's, the entire song is about people wanting riches, fame, glory, fortune. And Alicia Keys was, was basically saying that all that means nothing without that special person in her life. And basically, that is the sentiment that Moses and the people were echoing here. That's why they mourned. That's why Moses said, Lord, you know, I, I can have everything. But without you, it means nothing. It's nothing. Without your love, without your... This is identity language here, right? We are set apart because God knows us by name and calls us his friends, right? So experiencing and understanding God's beauty, what he has done for us on the cross... You know, the experience of that is the only way we begin to truly love God for who He is, right? For who He is. At first, you know, we come into a relationship with God, and it's all about going to heaven, right? When somebody first shared the gospel with you, it was, oh man, if you don't have Jesus, you go to hell. If that bus comes, you're, you're done, right? If the bus hits you crossing the street, do you know you're going to heaven? First, it starts out that way, but I think we should progress and grow, right? It shouldn't be all about going to heaven. It's like my fiance telling me that, oh, I'm so glad you took me to America. Now I can enjoy America and all its benefits and all that stuff. Oh, you're here too. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, right? We talk about going to heaven so much, but we don't talk about Jesus. The point of going to heaven is so that we can be with Jesus. So we can see him face to face. Right? That's the whole point of it. It's not, you know, as good as it is up there, you know, where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more crying. All that stuff goes away because Jesus is there. We can finally see him face to face. Right? When we see, right, when the more... Um, the, the more the gospel, the more what Jesus has done becomes beautiful to us. When we see how he first loved us, we begin to truly love him back. Right? We don't love him because he's going to bless us next week. We don't love him. We love him because we, he has blessed us with his presence. He has blessed us with Jesus. Right? Um. In terms of accountability and discipleship, one application we could put into practice is, you know, um, when it comes to us in our small groups uh, dealing with sin, um, we have to deal first with, with a lack of gospel understanding. That's what we do, um, Nate, myself, um, Sean here, Sean's not here, the guys, Timmy. Um, when we do accountability, you know, we don't beat each other up with scripture and say, you're bad, you're a bad person, change, change to me, change Nate, I'm good, be like me, change, change. That's not what we do, right? What we do is we sit down and we work on heart issues, right? What about this sin or this thing that you're doing, what about it is causing you to betray Jesus, right? What is so good about this thing compared to the goodness of God? I, those are the questions we need to ask one another in community. Remember, every time we are sinning, 
It's only because we are doubting the goodness of God. That's what happened in the garden, right? Adam and Eve, they doubted that God was good. They forgot that God gave them all the trees except one. Right? When we sin and when we are tempted to sin, it's always a question about the goodness of God. You know, the devil will come in, he will tell you, Oh man, you know, God's not really good. You should take this now for yourself. He's not really gonna, he's not gonna bless you. Right? That is always a temptation. That is always the case. It's a fight, right, to remember the goodness of God. And again, who is the goodness of God? Jesus. Right? We have to remember that. You know, if God gave Jesus for us on the cross, how will he not provide everything else that we need? Right? So we have to remind each other of that. As a community, we need to constantly evangelize the unbelieving parts of our heart. Even though we've, we here have come to know Jesus and accept Jesus, there are still parts of our heart that resist the gospel. You know, I've, Pastor, I just said that together we've been, you know, as discipler, disciple, we've been walking with Jesus for X number of years, decades. I think decades now, right? This point. Um, you know what I'm finding in my own heart now? Much like the Apostle Paul, I find that I want to do good things, but I end up doing bad things. Right? The more I spend time with Jesus, fellowshipping with people, knowing more about him, the more I realize how sinful I am. My mom's here. My cousin's here. Ask them. <laughs> right? um, I, I was talking to Nathan, my cousin, the other night. I was asking him, have I gotten better with my temper? He said, yeah, yeah, you have. But, you know, there's other stuff in my heart that's not right. If I am really honest, I could just dwell on that and say, yes, I'm so holy now. But the truth is, when I'm alone with God, He shows me things about myself that aren't pleasant. Right? And so that's our function as a community, as a small group. That's what we do. We gather together and we say, hey man, what have you not been believing about Jesus this week? Or how have you been knowing Him more this week? It's all, it centers around Jesus. When we take Jesus out of the equation, we become Pharisees. We just tell each other to, you know, try harder, do more, and all that stuff, and we don't change. What we're doing there is we're just rearranging our flesh, we're putting the good parts out, right? So this is the hard work we need to do as a community, right? We need to evangelize the unbelieving parts of our hearts together in our discipleship groups. That's why it's essential to be in a discipleship group in a committed relationship with other fellow believers, right? That's how you grow in Christ. You can't do it alone. I can't analyze my own heart alone. If I analyze my heart by myself, I'll say it's good, right? But when I hang out with Timmy or something, when they see me angry, they tell me, hey, dude, you're kind of angry there, man. What's wrong? Okay? C, and in closing, Experiencing the goodness of God transforms us into Christ-likeness, right? Do you remember, if you guys read the rest of Exodus, do you remember Moses' early interactions with God? What does he say about the people? He complains about them, right? The people will complain, and then Moses will go to God and say, these people you gave me, they're terrible, they're horrible, right? He, you know, the people would complain and then Moses would complain about the people to God. And Moses wasn't really exactly fond of the Israelites, right? They were grumble, grumblers and complainers. But at this point in this journey with the Lord, right, what does Moses do? He says in verse 15 again, let's revisit that. If your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That's pretty amazing, right? Moses was saying, God was telling Moses, I'll give you everything, leave the people behind. I'll do, I'll, I'll do all that I promised with you without them. What does Moses do here? He says, Lord, no. Right? You have to take all of us with you. If you're not taking them, don't take me. That's what he was saying. 
Right? What happened to Moses? He spent a lot of time with God in the tent of meeting. He would come out glowing. What happened to him? Right? It did not only made him glow, give him a glowing face. The time he spent with God gave him what? A gracious heart. The time he spent with Jesus made him more like Jesus. Right? That is the key to Christ's likeness, right? Um, so in Galatians, what does what does Paul call Christ likeness? He calls it fruit. Right? The fruit of the Spirit. It's one thing. It's like a diamond with many facets. It's one thing. Right? What is fruit? It is the result of excess nutrients in plants. Right? That's what happens. Christ-likeness is not something where, you know, I'll take the Galatians list and I'll, oh, today I will work on self-control. I will only eat half a pizza and not a whole uh, box. Right? <laughs> today, I, today I will work on patience. I will not... Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, so it's not like that. We, we don't take a list and then make a to-do list and then, oh, today I'll work on this one. It doesn't work that way. It's one thing, remember, it grows organically, right? So how do we do it? We spend more time with Jesus, right? You, you notice the recurring theme here? It's all about Jesus, right? We spend more time with Jesus, how? We spend more time in prayer. We spend more time reading scripture. When we read scripture, we try to read about Jesus first before we use it as a horoscope to find out what we'll do for the day. Right? When we hang out, when we fellowship, right? It's not, we're not just going to talk about video games <coughs> and, um, and sports and stuff like that, manly things like hunting and uh, fishing. Uh, <laughs> we will talk about Jesus, right? Um, Jesus in every facet of our lives. That's the, you know, that's the joy of fellowship is we get to share Jesus to one another, you know? So the more time we spend with Jesus, the more he flows out of our lives. Growing up in CCF, I've heard this illustration being used so many times. Um, it's Lawrence of Arabia, right? He, he takes a group, group of people from the desert, and then, you know, they're so amazed with the hotel they stayed in. They were amazed with the faucet. And then what they did was they took the faucet with them to the desert, thinking that when they turned it on, water would come. So it is with Christ-likeness, right? The more we are connected with Jesus, the more we are changed, the more we transform. We're not faucets disconnected from the main line, right? So again, as a community, right, we ought to remind one another to spend more and more and more and more time with Jesus, right? So let's summarize everything we've learned so far. So God's goodness, definition A, God's glory is Jesus on the cross. That is the highest expression of the greatness of God, right? And when we read scripture, we look for that, right? Let's say if I talk about God's sovereignty, you know, think about the idea that God is dangerous apart from Jesus. Let's say I talk about God's sovereignty. If I don't end with Jesus, that is a pretty depressing idea, right? you agree? God is sovereign. He causes, you know, he controls everything. That's just depressing. You feel like you're a robot. And, oh, man, why, why get out of bed if God already planned everything, right? Without Jesus, that's what you think. It's just, it's, so, it's pointless. But when we view God's sovereignty through the lens of Jesus, we say, oh, it's pretty amazing, right? Because God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. And yet, he chooses to send his son to die for sinners like us. I, I design buildings and stuff like that. If I don't like something, I delete it. Right? That is my right as the author. Right? When it comes to God, he goes into the play. Right? He doesn't delete the play. He rescues people. That is his greatness. Right? So we have to filter everything through the lens of God's goodness, His glory. And this is our assurance of His goodness 
loving kindness in our day-to-day lives, in our daily lives, right? When we realize that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, we view the world differently. We view the world differently, right? When we say he causes all things to work for good, we realize he does use all things, good and bad, to work for our ultimate good, right? Um, Oftentimes when we study Romans 8, 28, we skip right away to the good part. Do you realize that Romans 8 is a chapter that Paul wrote about living in a suffering world, in suffering in a broken world? Do you realize that's, that's what that chapter is? So when he says all things here, when Paul says God causes all things, he's referencing a wide array of terrible things, horrible things, right? Um, have you heard of ISIS, anyone? So if a prosperity teacher comes over there and says, hey guys, all you need is fit, they're being beheaded over there, right? Without Jesus, if we don't filter what's going on through Jesus, that he causes all things, even that stuff to work for good, then we won't, nothing makes sense, right? What is good? What is the ultimate good? Class, Romans 8.29. Uh, for those he foreknew, he predestined to become to the image and likeness of his. The ultimate good that God wants to do in our lives is that he wants to make us like Jesus, right? Sometimes, you know, when I was younger, I would think, that's kind of boring. What if I'll be this, you know, humble. God wants us to be like his perfect expression of his glory. That's what he wants, right? He doesn't want us to have a comfortable life. He wants us to be like Jesus so that when he reveals himself, right, at the end of time, we will be up there with him. God wants to make us his masterpieces. That is worth more than living a comfortable life, in my opinion, right? Because this life is pretty short. Pretty short. Um, I remember talking to my grandfather a few years ago before he passed away. He was 80, and I was 30 at the time. So that was two years ago. And um, I asked him, how fast is 50 years? You were just, I'm 30 now, you're 80, and you're, you have cancer. You're, well, I, at the time, I didn't know he was dying, but you have cancer. How quick is it to get, he says, it's pretty quick. And I wish, he said, I had more time to serve the Lord, that's what he said. And you know, my grandfather, his story actually is the perfect example of God causing all things to work for good. Is cancer good, guys? It's terrible. I've seen my grandfather waste away, right? I, I, he had brain cancer, so he slowly, he slowly lost his mind in front of us, and we can do anything about it. So what's good about that? What did God do with that in my own experience? Well, you know, my cousin's here. We took care of our grandfather in the last few months of his life. You know what he told? My grandfather was a, when I came home, actually I had a falling out with my grandfather before he left. And then when he came home, he hugged me. The first two, well, the first two things he told me were, one, he, t- he thought he'd never see me again. He started crying, he, he hugged me, I hugged him, and I was so happy. The next thing he proceeded to say to me was amazing. He told me, you know what I realized? I was one of those Sunday Christians that Pastor Peter describes, or describes every Sunday. I'm one of them, I was one of them. But this cancer helped me know God, right? I wish my grandfather was here to hear me speak. I wish he was here with me and Nathan to hang out and do that stuff. But the cancer that God allowed into his life gave him something which is better than life itself. It gave him Jesus, right? It gave him Jesus. Um, it was amazing, right? We would wheel him around in the wheelchair in the hospital. All he would, he would tell me that, you know, it's amazing. You know, I'm sick, this is terrible, but you know what, the Lord has blessed me with the best hospital. Who says that, right? 
They have like the worst disease and he was so thankful. We would have lunch in the cafeteria. I remember this one time vividly. He said, you know what, guys, what this disease has taught me? You can never escape God, right? And his prayer was, if the Lord left, lets me live, I want to serve him. But God in his wisdom, <coughs> why am I spitting? <laughs> uh, took him, right? So from the outside, you would say, oh, cancer, terrible. But God causes all things to work for good. And what is that good? We become like Jesus, right? So what's so great about being like Jesus? You know, in that, um, when God showed Moses the tail end of his glory, um, he only, he didn't see God face to face, right? So what is God's goal in our Christ-likeness, right? He was saying, no man may see me and live. When we are Christ-like, when God completes the work of making us like Christ, we can finally see him face to face. We can finally see him face to face. We will see Jesus, right? Jesus is the beauty, the majesty, and the love we have all longed for and are longing for, you know? That's, you know, that's what we long for when everything good in this life um, points to that, right? Everything good in this life doesn't last. It points to something that is everlasting, and that is Jesus. The best relationship, the best stuff, the best everything ultimately points to Jesus. He's the one that we need. And as a community, my prayer and my hope is that, you know, we make much out of Jesus you know, in our lives collectively. Um, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming down and, and, and choosing to die for us, your enemies, Lord. And now, Lord, that we have you, we just pray, Father, that we never forget your goodness, Lord. We never forget that you have died on the cross for us so that one day we may be with you. One day we may enjoy fellowship with you. You made us for that, Lord. You made us for yourself. I pray, Father, for everyone here in their small groups and in their personal lives. I pray, Father, that they celebrate you and your greatest work, your son. I pray, Father, that you know we don't we don't develop amnesia. I pray, Father, that every day, everything we do as community will be about celebrating and glorifying your son, so that we may be transformed, so that we may you know that you can use this, Lord, in our communities to 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 make people know you more. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we humbly pray. Amen. Amen.